Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. We all know our politics are so divided. Our Congress more dysfunctional than ever. It's been, what, 20 days without a speaker in the U.S. House of Representatives. Today, perspectives on our politics, current and past. Also, we'll look to the future from two former members of Congress, as well as a political scientist well-known to IPR listeners, Donna Hoffman, professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, let's go to our Cedar Falls studio where Donna is. Hi, Donna. Good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon to you. And you have two guests, uh, guests of the University of Northern Iowa and our guests uh, for this hour. Representative Gil Gutnecht is a Republican from Minnesota. He served in the U.S. House from 1995 to 2007. Congressman Gutnecht, welcome to our program. I'm delighted to be here, Ben. Delighted to have you, as well as Representative William Enyard, a Democrat and a retired Major General who served over 30 years in the military from Illinois in the U.S. House. Uh, He served uh, from 2013 to 2015. Congressman Enyard, welcome to you. Well, thank you, Ben. It's great to be with you today. This week, uh, you are at UNI speaking to the next generation of leaders about the importance of public service as part of a program called Congress to campus. Uh, And uh, Donna will explain a little bit more about the program in just a moment, but I want to remind our listeners, what are your thoughts, your questions, your concerns about public service in 2023 and beyond? Uh, Join our conversation uh, with questions for these two former congressmen. 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river2river at iowapublicradio.com. Dot org. Donna, tell us a little bit about Congress to Campus. Uh, it's uh, something that's been around for decades. It has. And as a matter of fact, we've uh, participated in this program here at UNI several times uh, over the last two decades. This is a um, program that's put together by the former, uh, the Association of the Former Members of Congress. And they always send out to campus a bipartisan pair uh, of legislators that served in Congress. And one of the main um, tenets of this program is to talk to students, not just about their time in Congress, but also about the value of public service. As you mentioned in your, you know, intro, there are uh, there's, these are the former leaders of uh, of our country, and right now in their careers, they're not maybe thinking about a career in public service. And oftentimes today in our society, public service careers are also denigrated. Sometimes public service careers may not pay the amount of money that a, a student wants to make when they get out of college. But talking about the value of it, the rewards of it, um, is something this program does. And over the years, we found have been very valuable uh, for our students to be exposed to um, this kind of program. Mm-hmm. And I understand they've spoken to, to a couple of classes already. This is their week here, uh, but they're uh, going to. Um, uh, they've spoken a couple of times. Let's start. Let's go to our congressman. Uh, let's start with you, uh, uh, Congressman Gutnecht. Um, um, I had the briefest of introductions for you. Uh, We'd like to know a little bit more. Tell us about yourself, why you ran for public office and and served so many years in the U.S. House. Well, I usually tell people that the reason I got into politics was that my wife would not let me join the circus. 
<laughs> and and that's uh, somewhat true. I, I but uh, I grew up in Cedar Falls. Uh, was born and raised in Cedar Falls. Went to Cedar Falls High School. Uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I graduated from high school. Uh, so I enrolled at, at UNI. Uh, majored in business. Uh, met my wife, uh, who helped get me through college. Made me a much better student. And when I graduated, I, I worked uh, most of the time that I was in college. Uh, I first worked for Hy-Vee, and then I, I worked for a school supply and equipment company in their warehouse. And uh, the school supply and equipment company then sent me to, uh, they, they wanted me to stay on as a salesman, and they sent me to southern Minnesota. Uh, and the territory was almost identical to the congressional district that I ultimately ended up uh, repre- representing. So... Um, I, I sort of backed into politics. I had always been interested in politics and government. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I, I was a religious reader of the newspaper, believe it or not, mm-hmm. and uh, which unfortunately doesn't happen too much to young people today. So, and I was always interested in politics. I was always interested in government. And, uh, and, and I, I don't want to take too much time, but uh, I, I ran for the state legislature I found out it was something that I absolutely loved. Um, It was an area where we had real debates, and the issues that we debated and worked on in the state legislature were really issues that affected people's lives. I mean, I always felt like every day when I was on my way to and from the the state capitol from Rochester, uh, I always felt like every day I was was doing something that was important, Mm -hmm. that I was doing something that affected people's lives, and, and, and I really, really enjoyed it. And then when the congressional seat opened in the first congressional district, uh, a number of people encouraged me to run. And uh, so I did and uh, wound up serving uh, 12 years in, in the U.S. House. Uh, and it was a privilege. It was an honor. Uh, it's frustrating. It's, it's a much more complicated job than most people think. And, and, you know, unfortunately, it's become a little more difficult today uh, than it was even you know 20 years ago, yeah. uh, but but nonetheless, it's important for Americans to be involved and to be informed. One of the things we try to tell the kids is be informed. The problem is we have a citizenry who is not particularly well informed about what actually is happening in government and how government agencies work together. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's go to Congressman Enyard, Democrat, uh, uh, and uh, let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself, your um, public service in the U.S. House, followed on the heels of a, a very long and distinguished career in the military. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your on-ramp uh, to being elected to Congress. Well, Ben, uh, my story is quite a bit different than Gill's. Um, and, and Gill's story really is, is very familiar uh, in that uh, that's kind of the very normal uh, career trajectory for congressmen. They typically serve in, in the state legislatures and, and then move on up. Uh, I, on the other hand, uh, uh, served on active duty in the Air Force as an enlisted guy. Uh, got out of the Air Force, went to college on the GI Bill. Thank you, American taxpayer. And uh, worked as a journalist, uh, newspaper reporter for a couple of years, and then uh, went back to law school. Uh, after law school, I, I found that uh, I missed the military. I really didn't want to go back on active duty. I didn't want to move every year and a half to two years. So I joined the Army National Guard and uh, had uh, uh, I loved my jobs. I loved being uh, a lawyer for 27 years. I loved being uh, in the National Guard. Um, 
after uh, 27 years in, in the Guard as a weekend warrior, a part-time guy, I uh, was asked to take command of the Illinois National Guard as the adjutant general. And uh, so I took command of, uh, agreed to do that, and took uh, command of uh, both the Army and the Air National Guard, along with all the civilian employees of the Guard, uh, and uh, spent five years as the uh, commander. It was a, a terrific job. I, I, uh, I loved that job. Uh, and uh, uh, nearing the end of my career, I, I knew I would be retiring fairly soon. I, uh, one day I got a call, uh, in fact, it was Memorial Day weekend, uh, asking if I was ready to retire and, and run for Congress because they wanted me to run for Congress. Uh, the uh, Democratic candidate uh, had uh, an unfor- unfortunate incident where he had to have uh, neck surgery, and his doctor told him, uh, either you get out of the race or you'll be paralyzed in a wheelchair the rest of your life. So he resigned, and, and uh, I was lucky enough to get a telephone call uh, asking if, if I'd be interested in running. So uh, we, uh, my wife and I talked about it. She's actually a much better politician. Uh, I'm, I'm a terrible politician, uh, but, um, I, I agreed to run. And, uh, so we built an airplane at 30,000 feet, uh, flying at 500 miles an hour. Uh, and in five months, uh, put together a campaign, raised the money. I had no staff, no money, no organization whatsoever, but, uh, we were able to put a, put an organization together and, and I won the election then in the, in the fall of 2012. Congressman Enyard, share also your views. We heard from um, Congressman Kutnecht uh, about his aims as far as this program, Congress to Campus. What are the messages, the main messages you want to deliver to these uh, future leaders? Well, my real goal in doing this is to introduce the human element of what it is to be a congressman, uh, what it is to serve on the, on the national stage, uh, and give them uh, an appetite, a taste of, of what it's like, show that we're really human beings. Uh, neither one of us wears wings, and neither one of us has horns. Mm. Um, and we do disagree on, on many things, but we're not disagreeable with each other. So it's, it, uh, I, re- I view it really as, a, as an educational process to to open these kids' eyes to to what reality is uh, at the national level of, of political discourse. Donna, we have uh, listeners who really want to talk, obviously, about what's going on in the U.S. House, and it's uh, ideal that we have two former House members on our show today to talk about that. But before we get there, I, I want to ask a little bit more about this program. And, and from the students' perspective, uh, uh, the students that you teach, and I understand these uh, former congressmen have been to a couple of your classes already. What are the hurdles they face? Uh, we have students in 2023. Are are they interested in public service? Uh, what what are their their questions like? Give us a sense of of that perspective of the the youngest voters and potential future leaders. Yeah, I think many of the questions that we've seen so far today have been about. Um, you know, their perceptions about Congress. It's, it's useful for me as an instructor to have uh, these, these people come into class because they can repeat some of the things I've already told my students and then they, they understand that I actually do know what I'm talking about. And, and they sit up a little bit straighter and they pay a little bit better of, uh, attention when you have uh, guests as well. But they're, they're very consumed by soundbite media, you know, typically they're getting that from uh, social media that focuses on the conflict, that focuses on the hyperpartisanship, which are 
things that they should understand, but sometimes they lose the um, the things that happen in a bipartisan manner in Congress. The fact that they hear about congressmen being indicted, for example, but that's a fraction of uh, the Congress. Most members of Congress go to work every day, do their job, and so they can have misperceptions about the job of Congress, but about public service uh, in, in general. They may not even know, really. They may not even think about how being a member of Congress is actually serving the public. Um, and so having someone... Uh, talk about those things in class and let them ask questions about some of the conflict that's going on, what's it really like, um, is really invaluable to them and um, and can give them a, a notion of what might be possible in the future for their career. Donna Hoffman is with us, political scientist, of course, uh, also two former congressmen, uh, and we invite your calls um, to reflect on service, public service, and the current dysfunction, 1-866-780-9100. Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Back with more of River to River from IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer talking about our current politics uh, with two um, former congressmen, uh, Representative um, William Enyart, a Democrat, also retired Major General, uh, career in the military over 30 years before he became um, elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, from, a Democrat from Illinois. Also, uh, Congressman Gil Gutnecht, a Republican from Minnesota, uh, served for 12 years uh, the state of Minnesota in the U.S. House. They're part of something called Congress to Campus happening at uh, UNI this week. Join us with your thoughts, questions, concerns about public service in 2023 and beyond. 1-866-780-9100. River to River at iowapublicradio.org. Okay. Uh, Congressman, let's talk about what's happening right now. uh, uh, As we speak, uh, Republicans uh, have been speakerless for 20 years days. Um, we have this House fight over uh, speaker uh, leadership. Uh, uh, let's get your, your first reflections on this. And, and uh, to you, first of all, uh, Congressman Gutnacht, uh, you're a Republican. Um, you last served in 2007. It's nearly 20 years ago. You must have some, some thoughts about this uh, historical happening, um, being having a, a House leader um, voted out and then not being able to, uh, the party in the majority, not being able to, to find a leader up to this point. Well, I have lots of ideas. I don't know if we have enough time to <coughs> cover all of them. Uh, and more importantly, I'm not sure many of my current members would listen to some of the things I have to say, but... Uh, it, it is somewhat embarrassing as a Republican the way this is uh, going, you know, playing out. Uh, normally, and the way I would have recommended they do this, is they, they stay in caucus and have their votes and, and debates and arguments and fights uh, behind closed doors. In fact, uh, well, this isn't quite this, the same as electing a pope, but I, w- I would have closed the doors. I would have kept them there until— a consensus candidate had emerged, and then I would have gone to the House floor. 
I think by airing this whole thing out in public with lots of public votes, in some respects, has made well, it's made it uh, as I would describe it, pulling the tooth slowly. And uh, so the the way this whole thing is played out uh, is is not it, it does not reflect well on on the House and certainly not well on House Republicans. Um, but as one of my favorite people in history said, you know, the American people always do, Winston Churchill, he said, uh, American people always do the right thing once we've exhausted every other possibility. <laughs> and the other thing that I would, I would mention, and that is our democratic experiment, our republic, and the, and the way that, that our, our framers and founders set it up is not designed to be easy. It's, not, it's designed to be messy. It's designed to be a substitute for civil war. Uh, and, and I think people need to understand that, you know, the, the opposite of what we're witnessing today would be what happens in places like communist China. I mean, when they have a vote, they all vote the same way. I mean, <laughs> there, there is no doubt about that. You know, they can claim that they're a republic, but when, uh, when they elect a new leader, it's all done by a handful of, yeah. uh, uh, of people and it's taken to the, the, the larger body, and they vote, and it, they all vote the same way. Our democratic experiment was designed to be somewhat messy, and uh, that's what we're seeing played out on national television. Yeah, and perhaps we can talk about it a little bit later, Congressman uh, Gutnacht, but uh, listeners, I'm sure there are plenty of listeners who say this democratic experiment is— we're wondering if it's viable, uh, if it's not in danger. But let's put that aside for a moment and get the perspective from Congressman Enyard on what's happening in, in the U.S. House, which you used to serve in. Well, Ben, you know, when you, when you opened this question, you opened with uh, the Republicans don't have a speaker. The Republicans are speakerless. Mm -hmm. I would submit that it's not just the Republicans who are speakerless. It's the American people. Who are speakerless. The Speaker of the House is, is a constitutional office. The Speaker of the House is next in line for the presidency after the vice president. Um, and the Constitution makes no mention, of course, of parties, uh, but it does mention the Speaker of the House. So it, it, it's the American people who are suffering from uh, the fact that uh, we can't seem to get a, a Speaker elected. Uh, and I, I found uh, Gill's words calling it embarrassing very interesting because a uh, congressman from Illinois, a fellow by the name of Darren LaHood, who represents the Peoria area, his father was also a congressman, Ray LaHood, and Secretary of Transportation under Obama. Uh, but Darren used the exact same words, embarrassing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think the, the real problem uh, the, that the Republican Party is having in getting a, a speaker uh, selected is that there are some members, those on, the, on the, the far right of the spectrum, who, who are not interested in governing. They view government as the enemy. They want to burn the house down. They're not interested in governing. So when you're not interested in an institution, when you don't believe in an institution, it's awfully easy not to, uh, to select a leader for that institution. Mm -hmm. Let's get our conversation extended to our listeners as well. Uh, 1-866-780-9100, or if you prefer, email river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Talking with two former members of the U.S. House, uh, a Republican and a Democrat. Uh, let's go to Bruce in Cedar Rapids. Bruce, welcome to the program. Hi. 
Yeah, I guess uh, my concern is, is yeah, it's never been this bad in my lifetime. And I just think that really the main problem is essentially about 30 Republicans in the House, the so-called Freedom Caucus, that they just, they, and when they don't even deny, they don't even acknowledge that Donald Trump lost the, the election four years ago and won't even say it in public, you know, like Jim Jordan. It just seems to me that there needs to be more emphasis by the Democratic Party and even Republicans on defeating these 30 members so that we can move on as a nation, because I think that they are just tearing us apart and they love doing it. It's a game to them. So I guess my question is, is how can we defeat these guys and get on with the business at hand? Mm, okay. Uh, I guess we'll toss that one initially to you, Congressman Gutnecht. Um, is that uh, an objective you can get behind, uh, uh, defeating uh, this uh, Freedom Caucus, uh, uh, this group of people? Well, one of the problems we have in politics is, uh, and one of the one of the great things about working with Bill and, and Congress to campus is that we don't question pe- people's motives. I, I think the the listener, you know, has already determined what the motives are of of the Freedom Caucus. I don't. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there there is a great debate going on inside the Republican Party. the The broad base of the Republican Party would like to have elected someone like uh, Jim Jordan as their their speaker, and uh, but the, the, a lot of the members, uh, the more moderate members, uh, didn't really. You know, didn't want to go that direction, um, and what what there there's there's a, there's so many things at play, and and he said something that was really important, and part of the reason there is intense distrust between two sides of the Republican Party that are reflected in the in the U.S. House, and one is very very much uh, what I would call from the populist, almost Teddy Roosevelt wing of the party, okay. And that, that is reflected in part in the Freedom Caucus and probably a much larger cross-section of the caucus than most people think. Uh, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt was sort of a revolutionary uh, guy, and he, 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 uh, he changed a lot of things in the United States. Then you have the, the other side of the caucus, which are much more um, conservative in the sense that they don't want to rock the boat too much, Okay. And, and I think that's a, that there's a deep philosophical difference between the two sides. And when the caller said, well, what can we do to defeat these guys? That, that is in part what, why there is so much distrust and was so much distrust among the Freedom Caucus types and, and the, I would call them the, the Teddy Roosevelt types in the party, in, in that what, what we've seen is in the last 25 years or so, the development of what are called leadership packs. And uh, Mr. McCarthy was able to raise over $100 million, uh, and he helped Republicans get elected. But the $100 million wasn't just to help Republicans get elected. It was to help get him elected Speaker of the House. It was also used to make sure in some of the primaries that people that would, would not support McCarthy were not elected. And it even extended, we even saw it here, the influence of uh, uh, of, uh, of McCarthy and some of his supporters. We saw it play out here in the state of Iowa. 
Steve King had, had served for, I think, almost 20 years in, in the U.S. House, and he was a conservative, uh, no question about that, but he was also loved by most of his colleagues. And uh, McCarthy made it a point to, to uh, strip him of his committees, which guaranteed that he would lose his, his primary election uh, that year. And so there, was a, there, is an in, there is a distrust between the two sides. Um, and the real question is whether, and, and there is, I mean, somewhere there is a consensus candidate who can bridge the two sides and gain that trust. Politics is a lot about gaining trust. And uh, so far, neither side has presented a candidate that is trusted well enough by the other side to get the necessary 217 votes. One other thing I will add that, you know, in the last general election, Republicans were expected to pick up 30 or 40 seats. They didn't do that. And so there, there are, there's a certain element uh, that became disen- disenchanted with McCarthy's leadership. It's like you had the best environment we've had in 40 years, and you only picked up a handful of seats. And, uh, you know, when you're trying to rule a caucus that has a majority of only three or four seats, that's a hard thing to do anyway. I mean, people have said it's like herding cats. So there are a whole lot of other cross currents going on here, and I don't think it's it's fair to question the motives of either side. They all have reasons they feel the way they do, uh, and and great leaders are the ones who can listen to both sides and try to come to consensus so that we can we can move forward. Eventually, that will happen. I don't know if it'll happen tomorrow. I don't don't know if it'll happen the next day, but I wouldn't let people go home until you have uh, an agreement where that everybody can live with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congressman Gutnacht, you said many times, trust. You use the word trust, and I want to toss that over to Congressman Enyard here. Polls tell us there's been a significant breakdown in societal trust, trust in public institutions, and, and of course, uh, trust is a is a big, is a central, a key word when we talk about future leaders in Congress to campus, uh, in discussions you have with uh, young people interested in possibly in per- public service. What do you believe has happened to cause this huge breakdown in trust, in government, in s- public institutions? Well, you know, Gil made uh, an interesting point there when he talks about impugning motives. Uh, that the person who disagrees with me is evil or the person who uh, holds a different religion is, is uh, evil and is, is going to go to hell because they don't worship the, the same God that, that I worship. So I, I think that's a, a very large factor, and I, I think a lot of that uh, is very unfortunately driven by uh, our mass media today and our— uh, very much our reliance on social media and, and the internet. Uh, the the uh, I, I think it's really unfortunate that that uh, Ronald Reagan did away with the fairness doctrine and broadcast media. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that that broadcast media were required to present two sides of a question. So if you had uh, Congressman A, who was a Republican in support of something, uh, uh, on the air for two minutes, you had to put a Democrat who was opposed to the issue on the air for a couple of minutes to give to give both sides of the story. We simply don't have that anymore. So as a result, people get buried in their silos and and uh, begin to assume, uh, as they're told, uh, that the other side is evil or has evil motives. So so I think Gil is absolutely right when he when he talks about you have to you may not uh, 
uh, respect the, the person's uh, uh, viewpoints, but you must uh, respect their right, right to, to say them. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we have moneyed interests that control uh, uh, media, whether it's social media or broadcast media uh, or even print media, that um, uh, have a particular uh, philosophical bent, and, and they're going to uh, ensure that that's the only uh, political philosophy that, that's uh, uh, honored on, on, on their broadcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, uh, so uh, one of the things that drove me absolutely crazy when I was in Congress, as a retired military officer, uh, I took an oath to the Constitution, and, and uh, my uh, goal was country first, and, and I continued to carry that into uh, Washington, D.C., and un- unfortunately, uh, the partisanship that we see values uh, party politics uh, over over nation. Yeah. Uh, Donna, we have a couple minutes before we go to break. Uh, what is on your mind as you've been listening to the former congressman there? Yeah, I was intrigued by uh, Representative Gutnick's notion that uh, his advice, right, to the, the Republican conference uh, is that settle these kinds of things outside or, or inside the conference. Um and I think that sounds like sound advice. And we've seen Nancy Pelosi had a similar issue uh, when she was going to be elected speaker the second time. She had some nervous people, if you will, in her caucus that didn't want to vote for her. She settled those things before the speaker vote took place and then went to the speaker vote. So why do you think it is that um, the Republican conference hasn't agreed to keep this behind closed doors, I think it was you said, um, and settle this there so that they could present that united front uh, to the people? Well, I'd, I'd have to say it, it, it probably goes back to the days of Tom DeLay. And uh, when he was the whip, uh, before that, you know, I, I think under the leadership of Newt Gingrich, uh, we basically had open rules so that all bills were brought to the floor so that any amendment could be offered within limits for time and so forth. But, but generally speaking, for both, both sides, Republicans and Democrats were allowed to offer amendments. And we, we started to have more closed rules. And bills would be brought to the floor whether or not the, the leadership thought they had the votes. And they would literally, you know, apply pressure and threaten people, and, and, and not with a real whip necessarily, but it, there, were, there were very veiled threats that, you know, we need you on this vote and uh, you've got a safe district and you don't want to be primaried. Or, you know, they may not even say it quite that way. But now we've reached a point that, uh, you know, that you don't have to. In fact, Margaret Thatcher, let me put it this way. Margaret Thatcher was a brilliant political leader in Great Britain. And one of my favorite quotes from Margaret Thatcher was, first you win the debate, then you win the vote. And somehow we've, we've, we've moved away from that. You don't have to win the debate. You just have to break enough knuckles to get the vote. And uh, so we've substituted brute force for real persuasion. And... Uh, and, and one, of my great, one of my great frustrations right now is there, do, there doesn't seem to be enough adults in the room okay. uh, we, in Congress to, to help work this out. We have to take a short break. We'll be back uh, with our final portion of the program uh, featuring two former congressmen, uh, um, Representative William Enyard, a Democrat and retired military uh, uh, major general, and Representative Gutnick. We'll be back in just a moment in just a moment. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Glad you're with us midstream in this edition of River to River. From IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. With two former members of Congress, uh, they're participating in what is called Congress to Campus at the University of Northern Iowa. Donna Hoffman of the University of Northern Iowa on the political science faculty, of course, one of our um, uh, regular analysts here on River to River, Politics Wednesday as well. And uh, we have Congressman Gil Gutnacht, a Republican from Minnesota, served from 1995 to 2007 in the U.S. House, and uh, Congressman William Enyart, a Democrat and also retired major general in the military, uh, served for over 30 years in the military before his time in the U.S. House. He's from Illinois, a Democrat, served from 2013 to 2015. We want to get to callers in this final portion of the program. Also look forward uh, to uh, what uh, our Guests see as fixes uh, to the current dysfunction uh, in our government. But let's go to uh, uh, some of our callers who've been waiting. And uh, I want to ask our callers to jump right to the kernel of your questions so that we can include as many listener callers and, uh, and, and questions as possible. Bill is with us in Sac City. Welcome to the program, Bill. Hi, Ben. Thank you for taking my call. And I'm a city councilman in uh, Sac City, which is a, co- a community of just 2,000 people. Uh, a MAGA person has threatened my life uh, twice here, even in this small town. And my fear is that the people whom we want to serve in public office will be less likely to come forward in this current atmosphere. Uh, what are your guest thoughts on the type of persons who are more likely to come forward to serve in the, in the future uh, at all levels of government? Thank you. Yeah. Um, Congressman Enyart, let's start with you on, on this one. The rise of not only real violence, but preceding that uh, more verbal violence uh, we've seen in recent years. Your thoughts? Well, you know, Ben, I think one of the problems is that we no longer have a debate. Uh, now we have a diatribe. And we have a, a, a former president who has uh, made it a, a habit, a pattern, uh, and a gold mine for his fundraising uh, apparatus of uh, threatening people, of denigrating people, of uh, attacking institutions. And, and so uh, that's unfortunately fairly predictable. Uh, and, and, you know, really, when you look at our history, uh, our republic has, has suffered violence in the past. We went through a civil war in, in, in the 19th century uh, with, with millions dead. Uh, we had, uh, uh, in, in the 50s, we had Joe McCarthy accusing everyone of, of being a communist. In the 60s, we had uh, racial strife and we had draft riots. Uh, so uh, certainly political questions uh, have, have been, uh, unfortunately, sometimes answered with violence. Uh, but that's not the answer. Uh, Gil and I disagree in, uh, on many issues, uh, but we can discuss them civilly and uh, when an election is had, uh, the, the voice of the people must be heard. Uh, and you cannot cry foul simply because you lost the election. Uh, that's not the way the system works. Uh, you know, I, I was listening to Liz Cheney the other day, uh, who, who uh, I thought just uh, was brilliant. And she's as conservative as they come, uh, but she's a voice of sanity and reason uh, in, in the American political process, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, let, let, yeah, can uh, I just say to, to absolutely, the Congressman uh, yeah. yeah, let me just say, you know, first of all, thank you for your service. I mean, in some respects, being a city councilman in a small town 
or even being on a church board, I mean, they're really tough jobs. And uh, you have to make tough decisions, and you're going to make real enemies, all right? Uh, that's no excuse for a death threat. But, but let me just say, uh, even when I was in the state legislature, I had death threats uh, because I was carrying some, some legislation uh, on unemployment insurance, which was very unpopular with a lot of the hardcore union members. Uh, and so I had death threats. And, and I, I, just, I just sort of let them roll off my back. When I was in Congress, I had death threats as well. And um, I tried to let them roll off my back until one day we were informed that they were following one gentleman who the death threats were serious. I mean, he, he meant what he said. He was ultimately arrested because he had also made death threats to a, a, a judge. And uh, as far as I know, he may still be serving time in a federal penitentiary. So I, I, I think, you know, the callers raised a very important question. How do you find good people to run for public office? And I know that when I was in the legislature, one of the jobs when I was in leadership was to try to recruit people to run for the state legislature. And it's becoming harder and harder to find people uh, who are willing to make that kind of a sacrifice. And so that's the other reason we're here on the campus is to essentially recruit people to think about uh, their civic responsibilities and, and how they can be a part of the process and ultimately, hopefully, make things better. one 780 Going back to our callers, please be brief with your comment uh, and question. Uh, Gretchen is with us in Mount Vernon. Hi, Gretchen. Oh, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Welcome. Okay. Thank you. So what I'd like to reflect on is um, even even talking about civic responsibility, I, I believe that um, your Republican guest has kind of skirted the fact that um, Republicans in the House have taken their leadership cues um, from Donald Trump. And his, his method of leadership is bullying, um, uh, fear mongering, um, making, making your life public, um, public shaming. Those, those are normative uh, now in our politics. And I think so much of today's discussion falls back on, on that. And um, so for people who are thinking about um, serving public service, that's all part of the, the calculation now, too. It's, it's, do I want to go out there and have my life threatened? Um, do I want to be publicly shamed? Th- those kinds of things. Uh, I think until the Republicans call out Donald Trump, um, we're in this for the long for the long run. Gretchen and Mount Vernon, thank you so much. Representative Gutknecht, uh, what is your opinion here, and why haven't more, even mainstream Republicans, we've seen this dance for um, a couple of years where, when questioned by the media, uh, even, um, you know, what are seen as a more moderate, uh, Republicans will uh, do many things to avoid uh, condemning, um, you know, uh, some of the things that uh, the former president has said and done. Well, I think it goes both ways. I mean, Donald Trump is <laughs> no question. He is one of the most prickly. Uh, he has one of the most prickly personalities, and and frankly, and it his his style is not healthy. I, I, I will agree with that. But I think in general, our society has become much much more coarse. Uh, people say things on social media about people that they would never say to their face. Um, you know, there is such a thing as manners that we. 
we, we had manners and mores and morals uh, when I was a kid growing up. And, you know, we understood what, what, the, uh, what the golden rule really was. And, and we're so far beyond that in, in our public uh, discourse, even with our neighbors and in our communities. And, you know, that somehow people, you know, who riot are, are, are making uh, legitimate, uh, uh, you know, are, they're, they're trying to make some kind of legitimate political statement. Um, many people, and I've studied history, and, 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 and I think that societies go through cycles. Uh, many people know that a gentleman by the name of William Wilberforce was ultimately in the British House of Commons responsible for, for starting the great debate uh, that ultimately ended the slave trade for, for the Britain. What they don't know is that William Wilberforce served in the, the, the British House of Commons for almost 50 years, and he had two objectives. One was to end the slave trade, and the other was to make, uh, make the British people uh, less rude. And uh, they, they had become a very brutish-type people. And to this day, I think most Americans would agree that in fact, I think the term he used, he wanted to bring manners back to the British people. And I think you'd have to argue that today the British people are far more mannerly than the American people are. That's not to excuse the behavior of Donald Trump. It's not to excuse, you know, the president of the United States uh, use, throwing around the term Nazi uh, to people uh, who may or, who probably don't deserve it um, and, and saying that uh, saying that people, are, the, you know, the states— they're at a requiring, uh, you know, uh, some for, uh, some form of voter ID are trying to take take us back to the days of Jim Crow and Jim Crow uh, 2.0. I think there's a whole lot of uh, our political discourse, which really, you know, our grandmothers would probably wash our mouths out with soap for that kind of, you know, talk. Uh, but I do hope that sooner or later we will see a, a William Wilberforce come along and, and, and change that uh, change that discourse. Let's include um, Eric's uh, email question uh, um, for this for uh, Congressman Enyard, please. Uh, how do we get our representatives, he writes, back to voting for issues that aren't against the other side, uh, well, what the other side is for, but for programs that help all, regardless of party? And this, I think, taps into one of the, the problems we have here. We have, um, you know, less good for the entire community, more of a um, tribal uh, us-versus-them mentality here, Congressman Enyart. Don't you agree? Well, absolutely. Of course, part of it goes back to the win-at-all-costs mantra. The, the, uh, the political operatives who work for both sides uh, have a win-at-all-costs attitude and will uh, do anything uh, uh, to win a political victory. Uh, and unfortunately, that's carried over in, in, into the halls of Congress. Uh, the, and as, as I mentioned earlier uh, in my remarks, uh, that, that absolute partisanship was one of the things that drove me crazy about being in Congress, that people refused to uh, uh, look at the other side. And, and as I watch the evening news, uh, I see these politicians talking past each other. You know, they, they pick up the talking points and talk past each other. They don't uh, really engage in a substantive political debate. And, uh, you know, watching uh, Kevin McCarthy on Meet the Press the other day, 
all he could do was was repeat his his uh, political talking points uh, and attack uh, President Biden uh, or, or attack the Democrats. So uh, what we need is is to uh, is to get away from the diatribe and get back towards a genuine debate where we can uh, perhaps agree on what the facts are. You know, uh, there are far too many people who who uh, don't believe what the facts are. And I think some of your callers pointed some of those things out, mm-hmm. particularly the the uh, Republican congressman who uh, still continue to claim that, that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. No legitimate uh, source can in any way believe that. Yeah. So we need to we need to agree on some common facts here. Yeah. Uh, Philip um, writes, uh, one of our listeners, uh, he takes us to a, in a different direction. And, and I'll toss this one to uh, Congressman Gutnecht. Uh, what are your thoughts on longtime congressmen who seem to financially benefit from their government role? Are you still a public servant, uh, asks uh, Philip. Um, so this gets to the trust issue, too. If, if you're really um, financially benefiting from your role in government, uh, that cuts into trust uh, from the public, doesn't it? Uh, it absolutely does. And, uh, and we see this way too often where members go in almost penniless, and when they come out, they somehow you know, are multimillionaires. And you wonder, how, how does that happen? Um, I, I, I will tell you, I was not one of those. Uh, but uh, the one of the things, though, that you do have to understand that during your time in government, you do get to know a lot of people. Um, you it, it, through fundraising, you meet a lot of uh, important people, and so in many respects, it does open doors for when you leave Congress. So most members, uh, the old rule was you cashed in after you left Congress, um, and uh, uh, but but there's no question about it. I think when you have so much money and so much power. Uh, essentially uh, uh, all centered in Washington, D.C., uh, it invites things to happen that, pro- that, that shouldn't happen. And uh, people trade votes for promises of, of very good jobs when they leave Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's an almost impossible thing to really uh, police. Uh, but, uh, but it does happen, and, and it's part of our system, and maybe that's the reason we need uh, more limited government. We have about two minutes left before we have to say goodbye to our guests this hour and uh, Donna Hoffman. Um, where do you see this all, all headed? Uh, uh, Donna, start us off here with, with a forward-looking comment about um, the, the challenges you see um, and, well, as you teach the future leaders of the U.S. Well, I mean, one of the things that I'd like to circle back to is this notion that um, part of the issue here is Um, the American public's understanding of our political system, which isn't actually very great. I mean, that's why I do what I do every day. Um, Understanding that Congress isn't about winning uh, all the time. It is, in fact, um, pretty impossible to do things in Congress if you are not willing to compromise, if you aren't willing to listen to the other side. Um, And the perfect can't be the enemy of the possible. And so nobody in in our system of government, which is based on a constitution that is a compromised document, nobody gets everything they want. Uh, Everybody's going to have to give and take. And the win at all cost uh, mentality that some people have, some citizens have, somewhat stems from a lack of understanding 
of the very nature of the system of government. And then oftentimes they become disgusted with the system. They tune it out. um, They limit their political information. And it can become like a game. It can become entertainment. It can be what then people do to demonize the other side. Uh, and, And then again, if we engage more with people who think differently than we do, but we can still be agreeable in those debates. Those are things that we have you know, kind of lost. And so it is useful also for this program for students to see a Republican member of Congress, a Democratic member of Congress, um, as humans, as people, um, talking about their service and what they were able to do and also what they weren't able to do and understanding that the political system is one that takes compromise to get things done. Very short responses. We just have a few seconds left. Uh, Congressman Anyart, uh, you first. Are you hopeful for our future, political future? You know, I am. And in one of the lectures, uh, or very quickly, this please. Morning, yeah. yeah. I talked about the 1850s, the 1860s, the 1960s, the 1950s. We've seen conflict before. We'll continue to see conflict. But I think the wonderful thing about our system is that we uh, survive those conflicts and move on to greater things. Uh, Congressman Gutnick, uh, you have 15 seconds. <laughs> well, judging by the quality of the, uh, the questions this morning, I have a lot of confidence in our future. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. Uh, participants in Campus to Congress, we uh, thank very much uh, Representatives uh, Gil Gutnick uh, from Minnesota, Republican and Democrat, a former Representative William Enhart, a Democrat from Illinois. Also, Donna Hoffman, thank you very much, Donna. And Congressman, thank you so much for being with us this hour. Thanks, Ben. Great to be with you. Thank you.